before Chuck Norris goes to sleep, he checks under the bed to make sure Lady Mormont isn't there. I want her to actually fight, though. I'm ready for her to sit on the Iron Throne. Does it feel good when I let you know? Be fast, my heart can't rest from all. At last, my love is at my door. I just came to say hello. Hey everyone, I'm Ann Olson. And I'm Taylor Wisher. And welcome back to another episode of Show Up Chicago, where we will tell you about events, issues, and groups in the city that you can get involved with and start making a difference today. Will you show up? This week we have Erica Wozniak, Chicago public school teacher who has turned her platform and passion for education into an all-out fight for the rights of CPS and its children, along with the teachers' union. Erica was a like honestly oh one of my favorite guests. Just like she brought us rose. She brought that was like it. That's all I like. <laughs> she just became so much more elevated when yeah. she walked in with a bottle of wine. Like it's a it's a bold step to take, and it's only going to be positively received. And it was the middle of the day. Middle of the day. And I was like, I respect you, and you respect us because mm-hmm. you brought us wine, mm-hmm. and that's all we need. And. Yeah. She's also professionally and personally wildly accomplished. Yeah, no, she's, she's the whole package. <laughs> she's so nice and down to earth and she's obviously doing a lot and she's it's very clear that she's passionate about the educational sort of environment in which Chicago is creating right now and what she can do to really get involved. She's like the perfect example of a teacher who is really striving to push past what she's being told are her limits as a teacher and she's like oh no I see what's wrong how can I make a difference what can I do you know she's the teacher that stays in touch with her fifth graders when they've graduated high school when they go away to college you know yes she probably has them write like those letters to themselves and she mails it like after they graduate high school I got like two of those and I deeply respect those teachers and Erica is one of those I I have one of those teachers from elementary yeah and just like talking to her and just that like that is the passion like yeah that's the level like the she grew up wanting to be a teacher. She immediately started teaching when she was 22 years old, like right out of college exactly. and has been doing it ever since and then has turned it into like whoever considers teachers activists. But my God, fundamentally, they have to be. She's proven that you do have to, as a teacher, the work that you do in the classroom is important, but you have to have a voice in how your school is run. Mm-hmm. And You have to advocate for the exactly, kids. Exactly, yeah. because, you know, if you're fortunate enough to work in an environment or a school environment, I mean, that your school gets a ton of money and you don't have to think about that, then good for you. But you need to be out here advocating for the children of lower income neighborhoods or cities or towns throughout your community and really being a voice for them because they're, what, 10 years old? They don't know how to stand up for themselves and ask for a computer. It's something I've been reflecting on since we spoke with her because I just, I grew up and I I only ever went to public schools throughout everything, but I was stupid lucky mm-hmm. in the public school system that I was literally just born in mm-hmm. like it's an amazing school system like one of the best in the states and I completely did not even realize that that was a thing yeah I was always like okay well like but my my school's a public school and my school's really nice how obviously every other school is exactly like that yeah and, and it's, it's just not the case no and it just blows my mind that that is even a situation that you can be like yes the kids in this county deserve like brand new books and they get ipads like 
the kids at the elementary schools have iPads and stuff now where I grew up. No, yeah, I like remember my mom always saying that she made a point of staying in the the suburb that I grew up in. It wasn't always easy, like money was always tight, but she made a point of doing that because the school system was so good. And I really did take for granted that our school was that good. Like I knew it was better in comparison to others, but I didn't know how far and beyond it was compared to so many, especially in comparison to city schools. So the fact that Erica is willing to really step up and say and do the work that it takes to really make these schools even like a little bit closer to the level of a lot of suburban schools is really like astounding. Erica, uh, you're, you're a queen. Hey, yes. But before we get to Erica's interview, we are going to catch you up on this week in Illinois and Chicago and the world. Let's go big to small. So okay. Okay. National, state, local. So the okay. big one, just like a quick update on healthcare. The Senate has been working on a bill to uh, repeal and replace Obamacare. They need 50 votes. There are 52 GOP senators. Two of the senators have already said that they are just straight up, they're not going to vote for it regardless. Two more GOP senators fell off in the last 24 hours. That means that they no longer have the votes to pass this replacement bill. So now they're talking about just repealing it. That means just getting rid of Obamacare without any kind of a net, without any kind of a fallback, anything like that. So it's a repeal and go fuck yourself kind of a thing. So basically, the GOP healthcare plan is... Dead on arrival. It's dead on arrival. This is huge. Yeah. This is enormous. That was a but big also, worry. But also, don't take it for granted. Mm-hmm. Please, 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 please. Things can still happen. Still put pressure on your representatives. This is huge. In Illinois, what's going on? What's popping? Basically, um, one big news that has come out, there's been a lot of controversy, a lot of talk about Illinois' sort of junk status. And since the Illinois budget got passed, Illinois' biggest financial challenge in general is that they have a $130 billion debt to uh, their pension workers. But that debt is only going to get bigger since the state passed its budget because basically how like they're going to sort of fix the what two years three years yeah almost three so. years that we didn't have a budget <laughs> is to um basically give the state five years to put hundreds of millions of dollars into the the pension and the retirement plans of its workers but that will just put it further and further back into sort of catching up with itself so basically illinois is gonna have to set aside a ton of money um in order to really kind of level out and this is a very sort of scary place to be in because the governor's budget the governor's office claims that this is going to be fine it will balance itself out but there's no guarantees so basically because of this and all of the sort of underfunded pension plans the moody investor service if you know anything about the stock market you hear about like the s&p the Moody Investor Service is one of those people who they determine like sort of the financial quality of a state's bond. So they determine like, oh, this is how much this how bond is worth. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so they have basically already put Illinois at the lowest level of investment grade. But as of July 5th, they've put Illinois on review for a downgrade because of these underfunded pensions. And that review is going to take about 30 to 90 days before we find out if we're fully out of junk status. Just so you're aware of what's happening in your state's finances, people. Yeah, which you should be. I was feeding the meter yesterday and got so mad about it when my quarters were only equaling like seven minutes. Just like thinking about the private company that is eating all of my laundry quarters 
because the city sold them. As if it's not hard enough to find parking. Ex thank you. Thank I you. Mean, Come on. Reminds me I have to fight a parking ticket I got. Fight it, girl. Because it was wrong. Oh. And I already have a bunch of pictures to prove it. Good. Anywho. Chicago, 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 Chicago. Here we go. Okay, so in a good news, positive news, um, basically uh, the chief judge of the circuit court of Cook County announced on Monday that Cook County judges will be required to set affordable uh, monetary bonds for defendants who don't pose a danger to the public. Which is huge. It's basically, it's called a uh, bond jail? Yeah. Bond. It's basically we are imprisoning lower income people without without trial. So without due process, we are imprisoning lower income people because they literally just don't have the money for bail. Exactly. So there can be people who get traffic citations, who get, you know, even if, uh, you know, public intoxication, they just log you. They can keep you there if you don't have $500, $600 to free yourself. But it would be very, very difficult for me to just... Just come up with it. Just out of come up with that money, and that yeah. is a very modest bail, like threshold of bail exactly. in Cook County. And so it's sort of this idea that it's it obviously it's just unfair. So as of September eighteenth, um, judges are going to be prohibited. Or prohibited. Mm -hmm. it, it, it. Um, judges will be prohibited from setting bonds higher than what felony defendants can afford. And the same is going to be true of misdemeanor defendants starting in January of two thousand and eighteen. Um, so basically, judges will have to. Um, have an interview with these defendants and figure out what their financial capabilities are before setting bond because they have to take this interview into account to determine what these people can actually afford before just having them sit in jail and do nothing because they can't get out. Which Yeah, and that's just, it destroys lives. Yeah. You know, for something like a traffic citation, you could end up in jail for three weeks, can't keep your job. Exactly. You take care of your family, you know, it's just... Yeah. If you get a parking ticket and you can't afford it yeah. and then they send you another one and then they're like, oh, no, yeah. and then they double the price and then they come after you mm -hmm. and then you end up in jail because necessarily you probably weren't wrong because I'm not wrong. You're not wrong. Oh, my <laughs> so, God. Taylor, is someone going to come and put you in jail? I, not I, after I send this in okay, this cool. packet. OK, please do. But honestly, if they do, I will. Thank I you will for your support. You. Yeah. I'll fight them all. I want you to know that I'm grown. Okay, well, my name is Erica Wozniak. I am a Chicago public school teacher. I've been teaching for 13, I'm going on my 14th year in Chicago public schools. And uh, that's really my passion is being a teacher. So um, I, let's see. I'm really involved also. I've been involved with a lot of things since I moved to Chicago in 2000. Um, so like political campaigns I've gotten involved with. Uh, I've gotten involved with Chicago Votes. Um, I've gotten involved with the union right away. I got involved with the Chicago Teachers Union and became a delegate in my first year of teaching. Um, and from there, just sort of found different ways to use my voice and to be heard, I guess. So always looking for ways to get the public public teacher public yeah public school teacher voice into the mix i have to say okay all women are so much more than their their beauty their their outer appearance <laughs> but you do not look old enough to have taught i know for i was going to say that, that was, i'm yeah. like really blown away right now <laughs>
Well, thank you. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> okay. Anyways, so can you sort of explain to us sort of why it is that you got into teaching? Like what gravitated you towards that? Yeah. So I've wanted to be a teacher since I was in kindergarten. It was always my oh, dream. Wow. My dad was a teacher for 38 years and he, um, he taught night school. So he taught uh, adult education for the latter part of his, his career. Um, and so I would go with him to his school and like help his secretary sharpen pencils. And I remember seeing his students in the hallway and them just having such immense respect for him mm-hmm. and the way that he was changing lives. Um, and in, in the very latter part of his career, he taught in uh, a correctional facility at the local jail. And just having him come home and tell the stories of helping inmates get their GEDs and make their lives better really solidified when I was in high school wanting to be a teacher. Oh, wow. So it's just the passion of wanting to help people. And that was the best way that I knew to help people is to be a good teacher. Yeah. So how did you get involved in the more political aspect of things that you're doing now? Yeah. So I come from a a really political family. Um, My dad's brother was a diplomat. He was the attache to Greece and to Morocco. Um, so I just, I come from very political roots. My cousin is the head of a, the League of Conservation Voters in Michigan. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Right? She's like, cool. <laughs> your family's kind of a big deal. I know. Yeah. Well, so, but that's what I came up in. So when I moved to uh, Chicago, it and was, you're from? I'm from Michigan. Okay. Yep. I'm from Grand Rapids, Michigan. So when I moved to Chicago, the, it was the presidential election, Gore versus Bush. So I got involved in the DePaul Democrats and was door knocking when I was 18 years old, trying to make sure that Gore got elected, which he did. Um, and and then from there, when I first, just my education at DePaul, like I learned all these beautiful Vincentian values of, you know, you have to give to community before you take for yourself. And I really took those to heart. And um, in my first year of teaching then, I saw some stuff in my school. I was teaching on the west side, and I was used to, I did all my clinical hours and my student teaching hours that you have to do to graduate from a school of education on the north side. And so I was teaching on the far west side, and I was like, wait, this this is not equal. Um, And there were just things that I saw that I was just so upset about. For example, in my classroom, there was uh, asbestos, and so I called the union. Mm-hmm. And actually, I called my dad, and my dad called the union. <laughs> yes. I was 21 that, at the time, uh, to be you fair. I call my dad for literally everything, and I'm 24, so that's every <laughs> single time. Anything yeah. happens, he's like, okay, well, we've been over this, but it's fine. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I called my dad crying, like, Dad, where's the student advocacy? You were only 21? Yeah, I was first... I was very young. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I wanted to know where the student advocacy was, and he said, that's the union. And so he called the union. The union came in literally two days later. The president of the union was there, and they said, you guys don't have a delegate. Is there anybody who's willing to? And, and my hand shot up. I said, I want to be the delegate. I want to advocate for my students. And that's, that's why I've been involved in the union. And once you get involved in the union, that kind of lends, lends itself to getting involved in other political things that, that I probably would have gotten involved in otherwise, like working on the Chuy Garcia campaign or working on – Will Gazzardi's campaign, those are things that, like, those are are politicians that I want to see elected. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, because it's so important to make sure, as, like, a part of the union, you want to make sure that the person who gets elected is going to advocate for the things that your students need in order to get the education that they deserve. Mm -hmm. 
I, exactly. I love the way that you say that because <laughs> I, my whole purpose in working for the union is what's good for the teacher is good for the student. Mm -hmm. So I really, truly believe that. And anything that I advocate for as a delegate at my school, I'm advocating for the teachers. But when I'm advocating for the teachers, I'm advocating for the benefit of the students. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there's always a lot of conversation happening around Chicago public schools, but I feel like it's sort of turned into like a lot of gray noise for or white noise for a certain amount of it. Like we all know that there's like something happening with ROM yeah. and the CPS schools, and we always every hear other like, day it's like CPS this, CPS that. But you're like, what like, is but like, going what is it? On? Is it like a, is it a budget problem? Is it like a disagreement between the city and the schools? You know, what's back when I first started, things weren't by any means perfect. But what we saw was we saw more of an investment in students. So what's happened in the past five to six years since Rahm Emanuel has been elected, um, there's been this mass disinvestment. So we've gone to uh, student-based budgeting, which means that each student gets each, each student that's enrolled in the school is allotted $4,100 per kid. And that's for including the year? for the whole year. Oh, okay. So that's... In, in comparison, in Winnetka, it's about $13,000 per student. Of course it is. So, exactly. In so that means the principal has to be responsible for all of the services that that student needs, all of the supplies that that student needs, based on this $4,100. So that includes special education, that includes textbooks, that includes all of these other things. Um, so it's, it's like this mass disinvestment. Also, the lack of wraparound services. So we see all these things that are happening. I mean, there were 100 people shot over the 4th of July weekend, but these kids don't have counselors. They don't have social workers. They don't have nurses at school. These are things that when I first started, even 10 years ago, that we had. Um, so I think what's happening is that Rahm Emanuel is prioritizing his friends, and he's giving them all the money, mm -hmm. and he's taking away all the money from the schools and the teachers and, and the students. So I, I think that's like a very basic answer and to that, that question. Uh, a two years ago, was it, that he closed 48 public schools? He closed 49. 49. Uh, 49. Okay. And actually, one summer, I went, actually two summers ago, I went and saw, I just had to see it for myself, uh, all 49 closed schools. Oh, wow. Yeah. How was that? Awful. Yeah. Um, yeah. the building's just... Just think of all the taxpayer money that built the buildings. And it's just sitting there. Yeah. All the classrooms and all of the parks all or parks, space. Like playgrounds. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you're catching me at an interesting time because I just literally had a Twitter war with James Kappelman. There was yes. a... Ooh. You're ready for this story. <laughs> there was um, an article that Ben Jarofsky wrote in the reader um, about it. The school right by my home uh, in Uptown is called Stewart School. So two weeks ago, I was walking down. Uh, I was walking down the street, and I see this sign. And we always knew that they were going to be the school was going to be converted to lofts. So I see the sign, Stewart School Lofts, quote unquote, best in class. And I was horrified. I was oh so God. angry. So I tweeted it, and Kaplman came back to me, and he made. Oh, I saw you tweet that. Yeah. And he came back and he said, well, there was only 17 kids in the graduating class and blah, blah, blah. And I said, okay, well, you're using 16 million TIF dollars to build luxury condos right down the street. Couldn't those be used for, for the school? Um, and 
for a quick throwback to a previous episode, TIF stands for Tax Increment Financing. Thank you, Tom Tresser, for that. (laughs) Back to you. Oh, Tom Tresser. Yeah, we should talk more about the TIFs. But but I said it's good to see where your priorities are. Um, And since then, just today, they took the sign down for the Stewart School lofts, and and I think they're changing the name of it. So everybody who's listening out there, use your voices because you never know who's listening and what can happen from it. So it's not like they're not building the lofts anymore, but at least they took the dagger out of the heart of the people who sent their kids there, the teachers who Mm -hmm. fought to keep that school from closing. And also when those 49 public schools were being closed, in the same week, the city allotted 55 million TIF dollars to DePaul uh, University for uh, a stadium. Yeah. Why do they need more money? They don't need more money, they and they don't need a basketball stadium. Yeah. stadium. Just they, opened like oh a week my or so God. ago. God, it's like, is DePaul even good? Games. I told one of my friends about that, and yeah, she was I like, "Is DePaul even good at basketball?" I was like, "That's a fair question." <laughs> I mean, and even even so, like they could be the greatest team on earth, true. but don't take fifty-five million public tax dollars That's in true. the same week as you're closing forty-nine schools. Isn't mm-hmm. DePaul a private university? DePaul is a private so, Vincentian University. So what? And there's, I know that there's also just like a lot of conversation about the differences between public schools and charter schools in the city and sort of what is is that argument about is is charter schools just about being able to choose where you send your kid and their private schools or because I know that there's also a lot of conversation happening about like the, the merits of two and like the funding of them both yeah so charter schools are publicly funded private schools So our tax dollars go to charter schools in the same way they go to neighborhood public schools. So the the idea of the charter school came about maybe like 20 years ago by Al Shanker, who was the president of the American Federation of Teachers, a labor leader. Um, And the idea was this can be a place where teachers can go and experiment and figure out different ways of teaching. Um, So it was a good idea. Then the right got a hold of it, and they figured out, wow, we can open up these schools, we can use public funds, we can take the tax breaks from them, we can put our names on them, and we can do whatever we want with them. So there's some really interesting cases of some disturbing charter school practices. For example, there's the Gulen movement. Have you heard of that? I'm not. It's a a political sect. from Turkey, I believe. Political sect. Yeah. Uh, and I hopefully I'm saying this right, but they have charter schools all over America. So um, there's also, you know, these private companies that have charter schools. So, and also, kids have to apply to be in a charter school. So automatically, the parents are invested in their child's education. They also have to, um, they have to follow certain rules, like, I know people who have worked at charter schools who had to wear a blazer every day. Um, kids have gotten kicked out of charter schools for having red hair or for having a nose ring. Um, and in a public school, you can't you can't kick a kid out. I mean, you could have a kid punch me in the face, and he's still going to be back at school. It's just it's an uneven system, and it's also taking away public tax dollars from neighborhood schools and, and again disinvesting in the public schools so that's the issue with the charter school um, and I just mind. found out that the Koch brothers have a few charter schools Koch, I, I mean you <laughs> name it so that's great <laughs> if you can throw your name on a school and say that you're helping kids um, that that's what they're gonna do and then they get the tax breaks for it as well mm. so <laughs> that's, 
that that's some good stuff is uh so in parent so I know that also like the Betsy DeVos nomination uh-huh. really shook the education community just in general. Yeah, please drink. Please mm-hmm. drink for that one. Oh my god. <laughs> Great. She yeah. brought Rose. She's our favorite. Um, <laughs> um but yeah, so Betsy DeVos, I know that she has advocated on behalf of charter schools very heavily. Yes. Um, yeah, she's a terror. Um, she she's from my hometown of Grand Rapids. Yeah. So I, I actually wrote quite a bit about her and how she's a horrifying prospect for I mean, that's the only way I can describe Betsy DeVos as the Secretary of Education. She is a horrifying prospect. She's I mean, she's anti gay, she's anti people of color, she's anti anybody who would advocate for public education. She simply doesn't care about anybody but the rich white kids. So she's uh <laughs> yeah, she's the, the whole, exact opposite of what CPS needs. <laughs> she she's the exact opposite of what America needs to be great. <laughs> oh my god. So how would or not how would how does I guess cuz she is the Secretary of Education. Um how would that sort of her position how does that sort of trickle down and directly affect the CPS? Well, we're not sure yet. Okay. So we still have to see what that's going to look like because of the policies that might be passed. I mean, in Obama's record with public education wasn't great. I mean, we see the the mass amount of charter school openings in Chicago under the Obama administration, under Arne Duncan. Um, and so I don't know how it's going to affect us yet, but it's it's definitely scary. Yeah. Um, the federal funding definitely could become an issue. Uh, and just the policies that... I, I can't even begin to fathom what policies she might try to get passed. Um, and she's, I mean, I hope she's listening. She's not smart. She's not a smart person. <laughs> no, she yeah. really isn't. I mean, I'm. she's just somebody who came up in wealth, and, and I can, I, I respect all people, but she's somebody who came up in a mass amount of wealth and a mass amount of privilege, and she brings that with her, mm-hmm. and she thinks that she, she and her husband work so hard that they are deserving of things that people who are working their oh Yo, absolutely swear, please swear, swear uh, who are working their asses off for less than fifteen dollars an hour she thinks her kids are more deserving than their kids because mm-hmm. she works so hard yeah. and that's her whole narrative her inability to say that she would defend uh, special education students physically disabled students was a chilling level of ignorance because I don't know if you know. If She's intelligent enough to have malice. You know, it's the constant debate with this administration. You know, is it just total, absolute lack of of intellect, intellectual ability, or just absolute cold heartedness? Probably somewhere in between. But it really feels like she just has an absolutely no understanding of. Uh, and she's she just heeding orders. She really does. She really doesn't. Just if you look at their whole family, her family came from money. Her her husband's family had a ton of money. It's just they haven't had to. They've never actually had to Financial like interest. do anything, yeah. exactly, or go to public school mm-hmm. to know what to do. That's it. Oh, I yeah. forgot about that. She has, yeah, yeah. That's so okay. So then, just to touch on it a little bit more, how directly like can she can she pass a policy that would like immediately sort of like if it got passed affect the CPS or would it be like she's in charge of like federal and then that's in a state local level? Well, I think what they are really pushing for, I mean, the, the federal funding, absolutely. Um, but I think what she and her minions are pushing for are for more state-run programs, which um, just the, the states having more say in what's happening. I mean, 
but we look at Illinois right now, and we've got some great legislators who are working real hard, but we also have a governor who actually hates public education as well. And so, oh, and he did. Has his veto been officially overturned? I, I think it's still in limbo. On the tax side? Okay. As, as far as I understand it, it's still in limbo. Some background in case anyone wasn't paying uh, <laughs> a, a close attention to the Springfield Newswire. Uh, Greg Harris, I believe. Yeah, he, they uh, they worked to pass a budget late in the night, the past two nights, with a 32% tax hike increase for uh, all state residents. And Governor Rauner vetoed it. And then they w- are going back and forth deciding whether or not to override the veto. And if they can't override the veto, and then the budget will pass. And it's a... Yeah, it's a nice little fist fight happening yeah, in, in our sh- state legislature right now. And shout out to Greg Harris. He's my state rep, so I was Woo! really excited about that. <laughs> yeah, there's a, he was uh, live social mediaing across all platforms his drafting of this uh, this new budget proposal, which is pretty cool. So go in and uh, read it if you guys want to learn more about how he was passing that. And we, uh, we talked about this just a little bit, but I know that you've sort of been a big proponent of, okay, you can explain this better than I can, um, as we talked about before, the TIF money that went to the DePaul Stadium, and you are sort of advocating for somebody to give that money to CPS. Yes. <laughs> so, so in 2013, when all of that stuff happened, when they closed the 49 schools, and when um, they announced they were giving 55 million public tax dollars to DePaul University, my alma mater, I was like, "Wait, hold up, that's not cool. What's happening?" So I started a petition. Um, And I got over 3,000 signatures. I delivered that petition to uh, Rahm Emanuel in June. I never heard anything from him. I don't know what's going on. But um, and then what happened from that was they took originally the money was slated for DePaul and they took the money and instead of using it directly for DePaul, they used it to buy the land on which the stadium and the hotel complex complex. So it was a minor win, I suppose. Um, So then DePaul could say, we're free from this. We're not doing anything wrong. Um, And the reason why, I think even if it was UIC or a public public university, maybe I wouldn't have been as upset. But given the education that I received at DePaul, that's why I was like, hold hold up. This goes against every single thing that that I was taught in every single class at your university. Not to mention how rich you are. Not to mention how long I'm going to be stu- paying my student loans. And you're going to take this money on the backs of kids? Heck no. So um, after that, that all kind of um, went away. Then they announced that they were going to sell the naming rights. And so I thought, okay, well, here's an opportunity. So I started another petition, <laughs> uh, moveon.org. And... Uh, And I got maybe about 1,300 signatures on that, asking that DePaul donate the naming rights um, proceeds back to CPS. Um, And I had a press conference with that, which Will Gazzardi and Alderman John Arena spoke at. Will Gazzardi is the um, state rep from the 39th District. And um, just asking, like, hey, do the right thing here. Lead by example. Like, this this is ridiculous. and I met with DePaul after, and they said, well, you know, we really don't have anything to do with the TIF dollars anymore, which is essentially the same thing that James Kappelman is saying. Well, the TIF dollars, you, it, there's a lot of, when you're, when you're a blonde white woman, you get a lot mm-hmm. of, honey, you don't understand. Um, <laughs> and, and so I, I kind of will go with it and say, okay, explain it to me. Um, and that works at times. But uh, they, they sort of claim, they sort of claim, uh, 
claim innocent from it. So I don't know. At this point, I feel like it's all happening. When Trust bought the naming rights, they still haven't, as far as I have seen, they still haven't announced how much they bought the naming rights for. But now I think it's a good opportunity for Wintrust possibly to give back to CPS. So I'm trying to figure out ways to maybe get them to do the right thing as a public school teacher. And I've said this, and I'll say it over and over. I think that all of society, American societal problems could be fixed in the long haul by actually funding public education to the degree that it should be. It's just across the world, we've known that to be true. You know, when there are these civil wars happening across the world, kids aren't going to school. They're not learning anything. They're just, they're experiencing the world around them, but not learning anything from it. It's Mm -hmm. like public educators are our first line of defense. We have to support them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's also this idea of like, how are these children, whether in Chicago or in these other uh, countries around the world or even other cities in America, how are they really supposed to better themselves if they don't have the knowledge in order to do that? Like, you can't make your life better if you don't know how in the first place. And it's like how you were saying, like, there are schools that don't have, like, counselors or nurses and all of these, like, pertinent jobs that really, like, help influence a child's sort of trajectory in school that are just so important. And it's, like, mind-boggling that we just... I've been like, no, they're just, they just don't have them in Chicago. It's Yeah, it's crazy. And all of those countries, if you look at them, it's also reflective on how those societies treat their teachers. Uh, when you treat your teachers with a great deal of respect, uh, the outcomes are, uh, the education outcomes are a lot higher. When you fund the education of kids who maybe can't go to a private school like Betsy DeVos's kids, then the outcomes are much, they're going to do better. Absolutely. It's like basic. Yeah. And we're just investing in ourselves. You know, we want the smartest and the brightest and the best. We just need to educate them here. They're everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and all of it's being, it's, it's being put onto the shoulders of teachers that we have to constantly do more and more and more and more and more with less and less and less and less and it's just not it's it's not gonna it's not gonna be able to continue no it's it's gonna break at some point yeah yeah you're asking too much of people who don't get paid enough and who have massive student loan debt and are just trying to like influence (laughs) these children and push them onto better situations and you treat them like crap so it's hard to like want to do that I know there's so many states that are like please we need more teachers but it's like you don't treat them well why would they come to you yeah exactly exactly and yet we have 55 million dollar tracts of land being sold haha exactly uh well with that lovely segue um (laughs) we would love to also talk to you about girl talk yay my favorite yeah we went to girl talk and it was bomb oh my god it was so bomb it was one of the coolest things ever. It was just uh, an amazing, so we should disclaim that Girl Talk is an amazing uh, female-led panel that happens once a month at the Hideout Bar. Mm-hmm. And it basically highlights women in Chicago who are just badasses and, and doing, doing a lot of cool shit. Yeah, doing amazing things in the city and beyond. And each is every month themed like how last month was? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's great. We love the girl talk. Thank you guys so much for coming. Oh my we're God, so excited to see you there. <laughs> we met so many people. We, we were like, so all these people, people are so cool. I met a WNBA star, guys. Yeah, like, no. That was, oh, that was 
<laughs> I know. She's amazing, too. Look her up. Her name is Amani Boyette. She plays for the Chicago Sky. She was a past Girl Talk guest, and she's awesome. Yeah. Really great. Support the support, support the Sky. Yeah. <laughs> so how did that come about with you, Jen, and Joanna? So the way that it came about was really authentically. Um, ben Jarofsky has a show with Mick Dumpke called First Tuesdays. It's on the first Tuesday of every month at the hideout. It's the same sort of format. It's a live uh, talk show. So Ben had asked me to be on a panel because they wanted to do a panel with teachers. So I did the show. I was really nervous, but it was great. And um, and after the show, Joanna was there, and we were having a couple of drinks with Ben Jarofsky and Tim Tutton, who's the owner of the hideout. And we said, why don't you have more women? Why isn't there, like, why don't you have more women on the show? It's all the white guys. And Tim Totten, credit to him, a middle-aged white guy, said, well, why don't you guys do a show? Um, and so it was right in the middle of uh, election season. So Joanna was really busy. And I was like, yes, we are doing the show. <laughs> Joanna, We're doing the show. Enough, exactly. <laughs> so... Um, we started in April uh, of last year. Our first guest was Teresa Ma, and uh, Joanna was a host with me. And after that show, Joanna decided that she would rather take a producer-type role in the show. And uh, we were brainstorming some other women that we thought were badasses who would be good. And, uh, and Jen Sabella was recommended to us, and we met her, and immediately it was like, love at first sight for me she's just she's so great and she's so she's got such great opinions and she just is so smart and I just knew that she had to be sitting on that stage with me so she uh she's been with me ever since but the show really just it it came into itself uh we had it's we've had such great guests we've had Sue Garza we've had I mean, Sue Garza is my favorite we've had uh Karen Lewis who's also one of my favorites Kim Fox all of these just powerful women who are leading by example and doing their thing and um and we just want other women to learn from them and to relate with them and to say hey maybe I want to do that or hey I'm an I'm an expert on public education I'm not an expert on all things so it's great to have a space where we can learn from each other um and after Trump was elected the show kind of took a turn in that we were like we really need to like we really need to get information here. <laughs> but it's about learning from my fellow women and taking something from it that maybe I can do. The other cool thing that we do is uh, each uh, the show is $5, and each month we donate to a different cause that um, the proceeds we donate to whatever cause our guests choose. And you really did sort of give the opportunity for your guests to sort of very openly discuss their own feelings and really you – you gave them the stage. It was less about you guys being the interviewers, and it was so much more about who you're interviewing, what do they have to say, let their voices be heard, and that was like, it was really good. It was really good. Oh, oh thank you so much yeah. for saying that. That means a lot. Come every month. Oh, absolutely, and please, absolutely, everyone. Uh, it's the fourth Tuesday of every single month at the Hideout. It was so so dope. Yep. I like felt like such a strong sense of community. Oh, that's just with awesome. all the people there, and even afterwards, we ended up staying for like an extra hour and we a half. We did. It's just talking to people. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Our next two shows are going to be like on fire. What so are they? in July. So July. I can't remember what the fourth Tuesday 25th. is. Okay, so July twenty yes. fifth, we have uh, women in labor, which I love the pun of. <laughs> um, but we have Stacy Davis Gates, one of my personal heroes, who's uh, 
the political director at the Chicago Teachers Union and just an all-around badass woman, um, and Adrian Alexander from APSME. So both women who are leaders in the labor movement, and we can talk, we, we can hear from them about that. That's something that affects me personally, but it's also something that, like, I mean, we live in Browners, Illinois, and Trump's America, and, and Union Rahm Emanuel's Chicago. Oh so. Lord. We have a lot to talk about. And then in August will be a really great one. We're going to do a show on women running for office. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. Necessary. I, I know. Very cool. So we're really excited about that one. I think we've secured our guest, but I don't want to announce yet because I just want to make sure. So, <laughs> okay. but, but I will tell you, they are badass. Oh <laughs> but, okay, so obviously we've talked about Girl Talk. We've talked about CPS, but we want to know, is there a way for people to really sort of get involved in advocating for cps is there a way for people to get involved in in this without if they don't have chance the rappers million dollars to <laughs> yeah. donate you know which was super sweet but also most people don't have that kind of money yeah so what can people really do to to you know help in some sort of capacity keep it hyper local like focus on your neighborhood public school if there's a school in your neighborhood go and say like hey what what can i do or run for local school council or Call your alderman and say, like, I want to make sure that this school is getting funding. What can I do? So keeping it hyper-local, like, keep it in the neighborhood. Um, there, Every month there's a school board meeting, and every month we, we have to, like, fight tooth and nail for whatever is happening. Um, so I think that... I think that just keeping it local is really manageable. So for me, the school that I work at is called Oriole Park, and it's it's this it, it's the anchor of our community. It's the anchor of that community on the northwest side. It's a place that parents go to meet each other. It's a place that kids. I mean, I was there last week to pick something up. Like, kids are still playing at the park. Like, that's what our neighborhood schools should look like. And I am well aware that. The school that I work at on the far northwest side in the 41st Ward is not the same as every school in the city because I've worked at other schools in the city um, because of the engagement of the community, because of the engagement of the parents, because the kids go to school and they're safe and they're fed and their parents are able to send them to school. Um, so it's Getting involved in your local neighborhood neighborhood school, I think, is the best advice that I could give anybody who cares about the future of Chicago. Love on my mind, just running through time, man, enough to get and that's our episode of Eric Kowasniak, CPS teacher and advocate for teacher and student rights. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. But if you want more information about our amazing guests and the work they're doing, head to our Facebook page or website, showupchicago.org, and follow our Twitter, showupshypod. That is showup, C-H-I-P-O-D. Special thanks, as always, go out to Copano for allowing us to feature her music. To Joanna Klonsky for being the most well-connected person in Chicago, our patient producer Kyle McLevy, and all of you for being steadfast in your devotion to making our city a better place. Next week, we'll be talking with Stevie Vias, executive director of Chicago Votes. We dug in real deep into his history of grassroots organizing, electoral politics, and the biggest issues facing Chicago. As always, thank you so much for listening, and until next week, we hope you show up, Chicago. Woot woot. <laughs>